Today's episode of the 551 Podcast is brought to you by the Northeast Big River Brew Fest that's going on this weekend. And here's two things that lots of soccer fans love beer and their communities. Big River uh, Brewfest is put on by and helps raise money for the East Side Neighborhood Services, which is in Northeast Minneapolis. It's an amazing asset for Northeast. It offers uh, after-school programs, services to seniors, family violence intervention, etc. And the Northeast Big River Brewfest is a big party with 40 local brewers like Modest and Whiskers, Indeed, etc. So it's this weekend, this Saturday, October 7th from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, tickets are just 25 bucks. Um, you should go check it out. Um, we'll have a post on this and we'll be tweeting about it. But go check it out. It is the Northeast Big River Brewfest. Welcome to the 55-1 Podcast. My name is Wes Berdine, and I have a special comrade on uh, on the phone. It is Alex Schieferdecker in Philadelphia. Hey, man. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am uh, I'm surviving the deluge. We, we have a, currently uh, have a huge rain and thunderstorm going on, and um, uh, I think I've complained about this before on this podcast, but the the geniuses who owned this house before spent a lot of money to have an architect design the landscaping in the backyard and all these things they like we're so proud of the blueprints when we bought the place but then they paid like you know college kid doug and his buddy zacko (laughs) and um they uh so they did all the landscaping so the entire yard is like eight inches below the alley level so our entire yard becomes a lake because so anyway so when i was coming down here to record I was like, "Oh, there's water, like literally, sp- like coming out of a spout in the wall," and uh, so if it sounds at any time like someone is peeing on you, listener, uh, that's not me. It's the wall, just you know, peeing on me. Well, great, ah, <laughs> amazing. Um, so on this podcast, we we've got a lot to get through actually, because um, we've got uh, lots of good, bads, and weirds. Uh, that doesn't even include talking about Christian Pulisic uh, 60 Minutes. Did you watch that? I did not watch it. I read everyone's tweets, so I figured I got the gist. Um, uh, and then we've got, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team because they are playing this weekend in huge, huge games. Um, almost as huge as the playoff contenders, Minnesota United. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, you know the the match this weekend against Houston coming up. We've got two matches. There's a lot. There's also Twitter questions that I think are long questions. So uh, let's um, let's compose ourselves, uh, listen to big quarters, and then come back and uh, be zen. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Welcome back. 55-1 podcast. It's Wes and Alex. Um, uh, let's start with the good. Uh, I just want to say congratulations to Toronto FC, who are so freaking good. They um, they won the Supporter Shield, and uh, basically they are they have two games left, and they need three points to beat the post uh, to beat the record for most. Uh, points in a season uh in the like post shootout 
era record. Um, and if they get three points, then they tie the shootout, the entire uh, history of MLS for most points. They're they're amazing and won the Sporter Shield and by all accounts should win MLS Cup, but alas, we know that's not how it works. Yeah, they have been the class of the league all year. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do the bad. Um, the bad is that the... Well, this is not really a soccer-related bad. Um, this is a uh, other sport-related bad. But it does have a connection to soccer because it's at the StubHub Center where the LA Galaxy play. Um, the San Diego Chargers are now the Los Angeles Chargers in the NFL, and they are waiting three years for their giant mega-complex stadium to get built, which they're going to share with the LA Rams. Basically, the, the NFL moved a bunch of teams to, to Los Angeles, and no one cares about them. And least of all, people care about the Chargers. And so the Chargers are in this soccer stadium, which is tiny compared to any other NFL stadium. This weekend, they played the Eagles, and there were about 80% of the crowd seemed to be Eagles fans. The Chargers got booed in their home stadium when they came out to do their warm-ups <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and they're tarping off parts of the stadium that could be used for seating. So they are going full Chivas USA in their second ever home game at the StubHub Center. It's incredible. They should actually, they should rename them uh, Chivas of NFL or something like that. That would be amazing. Chivas Chargers? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be good. Um, uh, So the weird is that Paul Tenorio from 442 reported that FC Dallas was, uh, they were playing Orlando this weekend and they were originally going to start uh, Michael Barrios, but he had a like a foot problem, and so they kind of put him to the bench and uh, brought in Tesho Akindeli to start. Um, and then, you know, and, but they had already submitted their uh, their sheet, you know, their their lineup sheet to the referees. And then um, Barrios came in as a sub, right? So you're allowed to make a change like that if he was injured during warmups or something. But then. He can't. Barrios can't play after that. So Barrios came in as a sub in like the 85th minute, um, and so because you can't do that, Dallas will likely have to forfeit. It, no one's decided anything, um, and that means Orlando gets three free points, and now they're basically that would put them two points behind New York Red Bulls um, for the playoff spot, which is kind of crazy because Orlando have been terrible, but you know. Uh, not as terrible as some teams, so that's uh, that's weird. That is weird, and it's an incredible mistake by Oscar Pereja. I mean, he's a very good coach, but his reputation has taken a hammering this year uh, because of Dallas's basically unprecedented collapse. Yeah. And this is another, you know, a cherry on the top of that. I guess it's pretty remarkable. Anyway, I've got one more weird, and this is a bonus weird. Another, uh, another, another one from another sport. Um, this I saw this today, and this was too amazing not to share. So, this is being a Minnesota audience. I think most people probably know who Yarmir Yager is, legendary hockey player. Um, he's 45 years old. He's still playing in the NHL. He just signed with Calgary, and he's going to play with a guy named Matthew Kachuk who is the son of another NHL player, Keith Kachuk. And the great thing is that Keith Kachuk was drafted in the same year as Yarmir Yager, 1990. So Yarmir Yager's career is older than I am. 
and he's now playing with the son of someone who came into the league at the same time that he did. That's not, not knowing a, a single thing about any of these people or hockey, I'm impressed. That is weird. Um, do you want to let's let's uh, let's do U.S. men's national team stuff? Um, uh, I, I feel like uh, you know we're not going to uh, go as in depth as the Total Soccer Show and those people who do far better job at this stuff. But um, we do want to say this Friday uh, in Orlando, U.S. men's national team versus Panama. Uh, which which part of this is there any specific part of this that that's exciting you other than the terror? Uh, yeah, and we have to win. <laughs> What's exciting me is not really exciting me; it's worrying me. Um, I mean, well, if we if we score two goals in the first thirty minutes, then I'm going to be really enjoying the game. But if it's like nil nil or worse, you know, oh one like the Honduras game was, I mean. I, it's going to be really nail-biting for a long time. What's, what's crazy, though, is that if we do lose, then we're still in the last the playoff spot where we'd have to play Australia. And uh, below us is Honduras, right? And they're playing away to Costa Rica, and then they play Mexico. So what's crazy is that we still could just shit our pants and still find our way at, at prom, you know? And... You know, we'd still have to go up against Which is what, uh, Australia with, you know, poo in our pants. But, I mean, it's nothing nothing but, Australia hasn't seen before. <laughs> well, that's what Mexico did last last cycle, of course. You know, we got them, that Graham Zussi goal got them into the playoff. It got them into that fourth position. I right. mean, they would have finished fifth behind Panama if we hadn't scored. Um and they, you know, and, but they had to play New Zealand, so that was a little easier for them. Yeah, playing Australia would be a, would be a more difficult. I mean, I mean, Australia is a team that we should beat, but we should also be beating Panama and Honduras and, and all these other Tobago. teams. Yes, yeah, there's lots yeah. of teams. I mean, losing to Costa Rica is one thing, but uh, losing to Panama at home, you know, I'm going to shiv someone. Um, and, you know, and then as we mentioned, Tuesday is the Trinidad and Tobago match. Um, uh, you know, I don't really know what to say about these lineups. We're missing Jordan Morris. Uh, Fabian Johnson has been dropped. Jesse Zardes was called in, but um, thank the Lord, uh, suffered appendicitis or yeah. you know something. His, his <laughs> foot fell off. I'm not sure. Um, uh, I, I I'm I've become such a Jossie hater. I don't know exactly why, but I just don't get why. So is everybody else. I don't get why Bruce is bringing him in. And and for all the things that well, well every every coach has their own their own player who they bring in who, you know, just astounds you and that's that's Jossie. Yeah. And and it's funny because he really he was under Klinsman, he was the most capped U.S. player in like 2015 or something. I mean, he he got a lot of time, but he's his career trajectory has been just a spiral downward ever since Robbie Keane and Landon Donovan left, and he wasn't getting set up for you know 16 goals a season, uh, and now he's playing right back. I mean, I, I don't. I, why is he getting called in and not? Ethan Finley, or 30 you know, guys a guy like Weston McKenney, yeah, who yeah. you want to like see 
what it's like, you know, what, what, what the U.S. national team is like. Here's a kid who's playing in the Bundesliga. You want him to, to get a taste of this kind of competition. Call him in. Jesse Zardes, what, what does he offer the team now or in the long term? I don't know. Yeah, I agree. No, I mean, there's, there are, there's a whole host of, of guys who can play that. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be up at the cabin for this weekend for a friend's bachelor party. Uh, so I have, I'll probably have this on, and I'll be already three sheets to the wind by by the time the game happens. So that's probably all for the best. Um, that's probably a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the other terrors in our lives, the loons. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. I'm Wes. Alex is with me. We are going to talk about the loons uh, still in the playoff hunt, as uh, as we keep being hearing. Um, you know, and I don't mean to say that as like someone who, do, like, I just we know that we're not good enough. That's fine. So I just want us to be good. I don't care if we, are, you know, are in the playoffs. But l- let's talk about this Houston match. Uh, Minnesota goes down to Houston. Um, uh, they'd drawn the previous two matches and as, uh, the, the tremendously hype, hype video, uh, explained one team was bound to win and (laughs) that team was, uh, the Houston Dynamo. So, uh, let's start just with what, what, uh, what positives you, you took from this match. Let's, let's, let's start on a good note before we turd everything up. Yeah. Um, Sam Nicholson scored. That was a positive. Okay. Uh, Let's go. That's really Let's it. Let's start with that. Yeah. Because uh, Tim, Tim, super rookie, who's down in Orlando, he's a total sellout, probably a big Orlando City fan. But he says, uh, hi, Wes, long-time listener, first-time tweeter. How do you feel when – how did you feel when Nicholson scores – Scored. I will take your answer off the tweets. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, glad to glad to hear from you. Um, I, I, you know, I tweeted this like earlier in the game. Why is Sam Nicholson not on? Obviously, things are not working, right? Uh, um, I, I feel like our our substitution tra- uh, strategy is basically like, well, we know we need to make a change uh, in the sixty fifth to sixty eighth minute. So we'll make a change there. Then we're going to make a change in the 80th minute. Then we're going to bring in uh, Colin Warner for seven minutes, just because you know someone he needs to jog around. Um, there's never really this like uh, significant like tactical shift that that we we see. I guess there has been an occasion like when in New New England when we shifted to a, a five ba- five man back line, but. Um, but you don't see much that, that happening that's proactive, right? Like there's a problem on on the pitch, and that that problem is that Wilmer Cabrera has Adrian Heath's number, right? In the last game, the that that dire nil nil draw between Minnesota and Houston, um, Cabrera's tactics were fantastic. The, our entire offense was was basically just uh, piddling with themselves, and they were completely immobilized. And Houston should have won, and they didn't. Um, so, you know, thank, thankfully we kept it clean sheet. But in this match, it was the same thing. And there was no, you know, 
Cabrera knew what to do against us, but we had no idea how to adjust from the same tactics that were used against us last time. Yeah, I, I think that that's been a problem too. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been sort of on my, my horse about this four-two-two-two thing all year, and we did switch to, to two forwards when Dunlady came on. But I, I agree with you too. I, I don't, yeah, I just, it seemed very clear for like a long period of time in that game that what Minnesota was doing, especially on the attack, wasn't working, that Houston were very well drilled and prepared for it. And it's it's just weird that it took so long for changes to be made. Uh, and I agree with you. I mean, Nicholson needed to come in. You know, I think that Johan Venegas coming in made everyone mad as, as usual. Um, it just... It was frustrating. Uh, we needed a different look, and, and, and you're right to call back. I hadn't even thought about how how that last game against Houston, the nil-nil draw, was, was much the same story. But it's just, it, 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 was, it was frustrating. It was frustrating for, for all of the reasons uh, that you mentioned. I mean, besides Nicholson's goal, we didn't have a, really a chance to score the entire game. It was the one sort of freak goal, and that was it. And if people go to MLSsoccer.com and you go to the recap and you go to the box score, you can go look at the pass maps and things like that. I mean, you, if you look at the Minnesota passing, we had, I think, basically less than a handful of passes into the box. I mean, it was not good. Um, and we had a- was, I, I, I really attribute that to Cabrera because that nil-nil... I was I left that so angry at the game, but thinking, God, that guy had a plan, and it just worked so well. Yeah. Um, other than the fact that they couldn't, you know, score if their lives de- depended on. They it. had a little bit of that in this game too, but they just had so many chances that eventually they got it in. And you know, I asked um, Dave Ladig, who um, is one of the one of the founders of 551 he's the stats head he he doesn't get a chance to write much but he's very good at helping us giving us the stats um and i'm also not a huge xg expected goals person but um i do think that there is something that you can glean from this which is that that first match in april the uh houston had a 2.56 expected goals minnesota had 1.26 in the july match the nil nil Minnesota had a .51, Houston had a 2.5. And I'll do the the basic uh, expected goals explanation to people. Basically, for each shot uh, that that someone takes, whether it's, uh, you know, speculative from distance uh, or, you know, right in front of empty net, um, there's kind of a a, a sense of this is how many times – this would be an expected uh, someone, an average striker would score this goal, um, and so you kind of add those up to to see the amount of opportunities that would happen through a game. Hopefully, I did the the shitty explanation right. But that that nil nil draw, we don't have the expected goals from last weekend's game. But that nil nil draw, it's going to be worse than that yeah, nil nil. Houston had two point five, right? I mean, they should have scored uh, on an average on a normal night. 2.5 goals, um, and maybe yeah. I'm misrepresenting how uh, that goes. But uh, I only say that to, to point out that Minnesota got very lucky that night because Andrew Wenger can't score a goal for his life. 
um, and they were missing all their attackers, right? They had none of their... Yeah. Uh, um, Hondurans. Main, yeah, the Hondurans. And so, you know, in this same game, there should have been... There could have easily been four goals without a stretch mm-hmm. in that first half, right? I mean, uh, the, the time when it was two on, two on one, uh, yeah. where they just kind of... Hit it straight into Shuttleworth. Yeah, I mean, it was, that was pathetic. Um, right. I, I, you know, what I get from that, too, is that... I mean, if you remember that first game against Houston, that was a game that Minnesota should have won. It was a 2-2 draw. Minnesota should have won it because in, like, the 10th or something minute... Christian Ramirez was dragged down. Yes. In uh, I think it was in the box, but even if it wasn't, it was a clear red card penalty. Loon should have been up one man for like 80, 70 minutes in that game. Um, yeah. That was inexplicably not called, and you know that's what it was. That should have been our first win, I think, in the year. But Houston improved. Every game we've seen them against us, they've been better. They've figured out what we're doing more. You know, Kevin Molino ripped them to shreds in that first game. He's been ineffective against them ever since. So I think you're right to credit Cabrera for the way that he's coached against us. And I think that you're also right to question how we've responded to that. We have not adapted to Houston. And Houston play in a pretty predictable way. I mean, they're so reliant. They didn't want, they were like the first team this year who just gave us the ball and said, here, have possession, you know, do it, do your worst. We'll hit you on the counter with Elise and Kyoto. That's what they do. That's what they do against everybody. Yeah, it wasn't and, surprising. And the um, two goals, but we still really did not have an answer for it. Yeah, the two goals that we gave up. Um, uh, you know, the the 69th minute, Molino gives up the ball, and everyone go watch the highlights on this. And this is, you know, you and I have been harping on. I think Molino has a has bags of talent, but this is the one of the biggest things that just drives me up the wall. Um, he gives up the ball and then literally just stands there, just watches as, as the Dynamo players pick up the ball, go down, start dribbling. Uh, and then Vicente Sanchez, who, who is literally like 70 years old, I'm, I'm maybe, okay, 65, fine. Um, he gets across into Elise, who's right in between Calvo and Birch, right? I mean, the two of them are, are basically doing the, um, uh, uh, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. The SNL skit, uh, Night at the Roxbury. They're doing that, right? Just like totally grooving up on uh, um, Alberto Elise. And then Elise, you know, jumps. And they're like, wait, you're allowed to jump? And then heads the ball in. Uh, amazing how that works. And uh, yeah, Calvo un- inexplicably does not jump. And then, uh, you know, Elise does his. Uh, 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 La Pantera. La Pantera, uh, which, which people were saying was was the best uh, celebration of the year. All he did was put on a mask. There's no. Yeah, but I love it anyway. <laughs> yeah, but best of the. I mean, come on. There's so many better. There's Kyle Beckerman making fun of uh, Robbie Keane in front of the LA supporters. That's good. Yeah. And then you have a you, you have a point which you have in our notes, and I think we should just mention it now, right? Okay. Minnesota. How many year, times this year have we been beaten by crosses and like bad marking at the back post? A lot. I, it's I mean, so yeah. common. That's that is the way that we keep allowing goals. Yeah, I mean, it, Atlanta watching watching every game. We're, we're going to play them uh, Tuesday night. Okay, what do we do? Just send in a cross to the far post. 
And the fullback will be like, Whoa, oh, there's a player here? Um, I love, you know, you and I just gush about how much we love Jerry uh, Tayson, but uh, um, he's a great. It was, it was Birch, but Tayson was. Uh, Jerry is a great one on one defender. Like, if you have the ball at your feet and, and you're trying to get past him, he won't let you pass him. He's not a great marker. He doesn't mark players. He d- is not alert to those runs of players who are running in behind him. That's sort of a flaw. I think Birch, you know, I think that Calvo was primarily to blame on Elise, the Elise goal. Um, I think that Birch is better at marking, uh, but he's not a good one-on-one defender. So basically, <laughs> it's like our, our fullbacks are sort of complementary if, if that's kind of what you wanted, but it's not. You'd rather they both be good at everything instead yeah. of having these sort of big weaknesses. The defending part, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, you know, we, then we gave up a goal on a corner. Um, uh, I, I mean, it seemed so easy. Uh, Kyoto gets the header. Um, it, it, I, I was mistaken earlier today when I, I tweeted that that was the 19th goal off set pieces. That, that's because previously I'd seen someone else tweet that stat, and I was adding on to it, um, and I never looked into it to myself. Uh, so, but it was, I think, our 11th goal off of set piece. And I had uh, our man Dave Ladig, Dave getting two stats in this one. I asked him uh, for for comparisons for other teams, and he he had data up to August tenth, and that was Minnesota had Minnesota had given up uh, forty six goals in twenty three matches. Eight of them were set pieces, which is about seventeen percent of goals. At that point, uh, other other teams had ha- had given up. Basically, on average, five set-piece goals, 15% uh, percent, uh, of their goals. Um, so it's not quite as bad as the 30% that I thought it was because I had the wrong data. It's still freaking bad, and it keeps on happening. And that's, that is driving we had, me crazy. That was not like the first unmarked person in the box on a set-piece in that game. Uh, I can't remember the exact who, who exactly it was, but... But Houston had other chances that were like equally as good, and they just didn't score on them. So it's just a problem that keeps happening. Yeah, it's and frustrating. Then, you know, this match also featured lots of Calvo and Ibsen yelling at people. Um, there are players on this. You know, the, it's tough for the team right now. They are not going to make the playoffs. They're frustrated with some things. Some of them know uh, that they're on their way out. Some of them, you know, so it's not the easiest to keep a. a you know, a cohesive team together right now. But you do have a decent amount of teams of players in there who feel like they're not the problem, you know, that that other people are the problem. And Calvo was bad this game. He had a really great tackle, um, but he was, he was, this was one of, you know, bad Calvos. Um, So, yeah. Anything else to say about this game? Anyone, anyone else impress you? No, I think it was one of our worst games of the season. I mean, it was the score was flat. The score was flattering to us. It was so flattering to us. We had one chance, and we somehow scored on it. And we gave them eight chances, and they only scored on two. You know, it was still better than the nil-nil against Houston because at least in this game, something happened. I mean, that, that nil-nil against Houston, I was enraged that I had been forced to watch that. But this, this at least, there, you, know, this, you know, if I could just 
separate you know my my brain from from caring or something. Um, <laughs> coming up this week, uh, there are two matches. One, you know, maybe some of you will listen to this. Uh, a lot of you listen to this on Tuesday. Uh, there's the match against Atlanta, and obviously we know what this means. This is uh, the the reverse of the home opener where the snowball got just embarrassed at home. Uh, but Atlanta is missing. Check this out. Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez, Brad Guzan, Greg Garza. I think there might be someone else. But those are the main guys who would start who aren't going to be in there. Missing Almiron and Martinez is pretty good. I mean, that's that's all right. That, do you think that we have a chance here? Um, uh, I mean, it's MLS, so you always have a chance. And Atlanta... Uh, what are they? They uh, they tied nil nil with New England on the weekend, and they've been playing. This is, I think, their third straight week where they'll be playing two games in a week. So, yeah, we have a chance. But Atlanta has been so good at home, and even without Almiron and Martinez, they have Yamil Assad and Hector Vialba and Julian Gressel. And uh, you know Carmona, they have a lot of good players. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. I am not expecting us I, to I win. I also <laughs> am not sure if Alec, if Alec Khan is fully fit. Uh, I had seen questions. I don't know who they're playing goal after that then. So, yeah, I mean, basically, maybe they'll ask for Patrick Tumbacus, to play back or something. Um, yeah, or, uh, yeah, or Cap. Yeah. Uh, and and the the good thing is that we are going to lose international players, but we're only missing uh, Johan Venegas, and missing is a, you know, <laughs> scare quotes around that one. Uh, Michael Boxall <laughs> as well, and so you know we'll see Coleman come back in, um, and so that I think this is a legit chance. Um, what really worries me is that. Um, I'm, I'm now scanning through. Oh, I was going to put the quote from uh, Adrian Heath, but I lost it. Uh, after the match, the, the Pioneer Press um, article on it, you know, his quotes were basically, uh, this team needs a shake-up in the offseason. I can't wait for the offseason, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, half of, your, half of your team, you know, the Minnesota United is like, oh, why aren't people talking about us having a playoff chance? And then you've got your coach there saying, I can't wait for the season to be over so that I can get rid of these players. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we, I've talked about this before. It drives me crazy how, um, n- like, his man management skills. Um, and some of them, you know, obviously I'm not seeing most of this, right? So I'm only have to g- glean this stuff. But um, that game was bad, yeah. But we've had lots of bad games, right? I mean, there's only so many times you can say, yeah, our team is shitty before, you know, you, you just have to find some other way. Like, uh, good coaches, these other coaches are, like, deflecting, right? Blame a referee sometime. Like, <laughs> and sure, we'll all go, come on, Adrian. You all, we all know that your team was bad. But just do something that's that deflects because it's all putting all of the pressure on the players and... Uh, you know, these players are, some of them are maybe not good enough, right? Maybe some of them do need to get shipped out. But just doing this publicly is, is so bizarre to me. And 
especially when you've got a couple games left that you could do something, right? You you're not going to make the playoffs, but you can you can start to look good. Uh, you've got this Atlanta game. You've got a home game against Sporting KC. Um, you know where we will have no fit center backs, but um, I don't know. It it really it just it it irks me. I think the thing I'm waiting for is for the, for Minnesota to to have like a style, you know. I, I don't really know what our style of play is. I don't really know what style of play we're trying to play. Um, at times this year we have, you know, I wrote about it a few weeks ago, but at times this year we have played like we've tried to play a possession style. At times this year we've tried to play counterattacking style. At times this year, we've just kind of gone out with no discernible style to kind of kick the ball around and, and try to get lucky. I mean, yeah, you know, uh, how, how long I, it's been? I mean, what, what I want, I still am waiting to see Heath's tactical vision and imprint for this team. I don't understand what it is. And I have no problem with us going on the road and playing counterattacking soccer, right? I have no, I have no problem with, um, with basic tactical shifts, uh, uh, and and going from possession at home, counterattacking, some of that. But but I, I do agree with you. It's just like things don't seem to be working. So let's try this other thing. Um, and so, you know, people do had criticized him previously for not being flexible enough and being too ingrained in, in what he wanted. And now maybe he's too, too flexible. So maybe it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I, I agree. And maybe next year then it'll be a new chance to put together a team. But right now, um, you know, you're going into this Atlanta game, and I, I view it as a game that is absolutely winnable. Because mm-hmm. Atlanta is missing these very key players, and because Atlanta is really freaking tired of they've played so many games, and they don't rotate their squad, so this is a game that absolutely you can get some revenge. And and the the last comments going into it are, this team isn't good enough. I'm gonna ditch them. I mean, that just like it doesn't. It's not a good idea to me. Well. The one thing that's clear about the offseason is that after this offseason, this is Adrian Heath's team. And he can't, you know, there's only so long that you can say these players aren't good enough when, you know, of the starting 11 that we put out against uh, Houston, I mean, a significant number of those guys were Adrian Heath's guys, you know, I mean, or at least, who at came least brought in, in. Yeah, brought in at least when he was. He had a significant influence on them. Yeah, both fullbacks, you know, right. one of the center backs, um, Kevin Molino, uh, Ethan Finley, and then yep. of our subs, Johan Venegas, Dunlady. You know, I mean, these are Sam Nicholson. Uh, so it's one thing to see, you know you you may be right that the players aren't good enough, but whose fault is it that those players are there? Well, increasingly, he shares some of the blame for that. So that's also a weird thing to say from that perspective, I think. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, uh, we also have Sporting KC coming up this weekend. It is the last home game. I'm unfortunately going to have to miss it, but I will be, um, uh, you know, as I said, at a cabin, uh, semi-conscious. Um, uh, and in that match, we are going to be missing uh, 
Calvo, Boxall, Taylor, Venegas, and Molino. So we're missing three center backs. So, so we will have, it'll be a Coleman-Greenspan pairing. I hope to God Greenspan is fit. Um, and or we could play with four fullbacks again. Yeah. Justin Davis will come out of the uh, dusty closet that Heath has just jammed, his, jammed him into. Um, or remember Ish as well? Man, Who? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's take a break. We will come back and we've got some questions. All right, it is question time here on 55.1 Podcast. Um, you can always send in questions. Uh, if you're sending them on Twitter, um, do the 55.1 pod hashtag so I can always go back through. Um, but if you're sending them like not on Twitter, on recording day on Mondays, then uh, then send me an email, westberdine at 55.1. Um, next week, I should say this programming note, I'm pretty sure I'm going to take next week off. Uh, recovering from the cabin because I have a, a special podcast uh, with uh, Ben Grossman next week who Ben is a minority owner of uh, Minnesota United but he's also involved with Fox Sports he's a consultant he is a very interesting dude I really love talking to him uh, he had just come back from uh, visiting FC St. Pauli and Manchester City and all these uh other clubs. He used to work for Crystal Palace. Um, he's a cool dude. So next week, I believe I'll, I'll do that rather than uh, recapping the games, uh, or I'll recap the games and put that out next week. But uh, stay tuned for that. That's like the three most, three of the most disparate clubs you could have mentioned: FC St. Pauli and Manchester City in one breath. Yeah, yeah, yep. He, uh, yep, he got. Yeah, I mean, you literally can't get more opposite than. Uh, than the oil baron uh, super uh, Premier League team and the uh, super leftist uh, communist uh, second division German club uh, FC St. Pauli with the with the daycare in the stadium yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, first question from uh, from Matt uh, I actually Matt Puzco I believe how, how you say it I've, I've never asked his last name but uh, is the MLS expansion going too fast and maybe you should frame this by there's lots of Nashville talk this week. Yeah, Nashville is sort of coming in hot. They they have they seem to have their stadium after Sacramento. They seem to have their whole stadium deal more together than anyone else. Um, and I find it a little surprising. Nashville is not a big city. Um, it has the metropolitan area is under two million people, and it already has two professional sports teams. Um, so I'm a, I am a little surprised that Nashville is getting talked about. Um, but I think that, I think, I mean, I think it could, any of these cities could be good. As we've seen with MLS, it really depends on the ownership group and the marketing and, and the investment and the, you know, what, what they do to sort of build up the identity of the club. And it, that, I think, doesn't really rely on the city. It doesn't really rely on the demographics. And so I think anywhere can be good. And the question of, is but, it going too fast? Yeah, is it going too fast? Um, 
I don't think so. This I don't know what too fast would mean, really. Well, let's let's um, say next year we next year we know we've got LAFC, uh, 2018. Yeah. So let's say we have 2019. We've got two new teams, and then 2020 we've got two new teams. Is that does that seem like crazy to you? It. Uh, well, I don't think I'm not so sure if they've committed to, to the final two teams coming in in 2020. I bet it will be a little further than that. Remember, we also have Miami in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, but let's say six I, I think that, in, I mean, MLS has been growing really fast. Sorry, go ahead. No, so, uh, let's say by 2021 you have Miami and all these other teams. So you've got six teams in three years, for, uh, four years. Three, I don't know how to count. Four years. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. MLS was growing very fast in the past years as well. Minnesota, Atlanta, Orlando, New York, you know, Portland, Vancouver, Montreal, Seattle. So in the last decade, it's added almost half of the league. In fact, I think it has added. Uh, can't do the, can't do math either. Uh, we'll say almost half the league has been added uh, in just the last decade. So it. It has been growing really fast so far, and there haven't been really too many downsides. Um, I just don't really know what going too fast means, because I think that the league is still far away from having a real national presence. And so to me, and I think to the way that success in the league is judged, really comes down to how teams are doing in their individual markets still. And if the league keeps making... What, have, what has been so far good decisions about which ownership groups to, to let in, ownership groups that have done right by their, their cities and by their, their, their clubs, I don't think you'll see any problems about the league growing too fast. Okay. Eric Ziegler asks, which free agents will Minnesota United pursue and who could have the biggest impact? Um, I've put a list here of... Uh, all the players mentioned, 442 had an article saying, here are the top 11 players that, that are going to be free agents and available. Um, you tell me who interests you. Kyle Beckerman, uh, Patrick Niarco, uh, Demarcus Beasley, Nick Romando, Andrew Jacobson, Stephen Betashore, Lamar Nagel, Jordan Harvey, Chris Pontius, Drew Moore. Any of those guys you, you would uh, pick up? Yeah, Um Jacobson would be a good backup defensive midfielder. Drew Moore would be a good center back. And, and Beta Shore, everywhere he goes, is a winning team. I mean, when he moves from team to team, the team that he ends up with usually ends up being much better. Um, he's, a, he, he's an underrated player, I think, in MLS. I really like him a lot. So I wanted us to get him in the expansion draft. but um, Alas. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Harvey at left yeah. back uh, looks to me like a guy like we could use a better left back. Jordan Harvey from Vancouver is, mm-hmm. a, is a is a good choice there. But yeah, Stephen Betashore is and and Drew Moore the other the other two guys who um, you know obviously they're veterans. They're uh, part of Toronto FC who are a great team, and uh, God, we could use a little greatness. <laughs> so uh, Chad, Chad, Chad. Asks, does Heath punish or sit anyone against Atlanta for the Houston performance? Who besides uh, Nicholson for Ibarra 
Did Nicholson do enough to to? I mean, he scored a goal. I mean, did, was Abara bad enough? Nicholson, do, do you reward Nicholson? Would you agree with that? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> my answer is always Molino. I think that he, he always seems immune from consequences. Um, uh, I think that Nicholson certainly earns himself more minutes. But we, and if you watch his highlight videos before he came on the team, I mean, this is what he does. He 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 is pretty good. He takes pretty good shots from distance. Um, so we saw one of his shots go in. Yeah. In every game, yeah. he's done that very similar thing where run, 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 cut in, take a shot um, from the top of the box. I, I feel like that that is something that will be pretty easily scouted out of him. Um, I do think that when you when you're having trouble getting incisiveness, having him in there would help. I, I just don't I don't think there's enough there to be starting yet. Um, but and and again, you know, I've said this before. Like, you know, Ibarra wasn't a, much of part of last game, but neither was Ethan Finley, and neither was Christian Ramirez. So that it doesn't really tell me that it was Ibarra's fault. It tells me that something, you know, that there were other factors going in there that were allowing the team to be stifled, and Ibarra was certainly part of that. Um, but. I, I don't know anyone else. Yeah. Like uh, they were bad, but who else are you going to put on there? That's that's the that's the real problem. Yeah, I, I don't know if it came, comes down to players. I think it was all sort of. Uh, I, I mean, I think that tactics are a part of it. I think that I think that I don't know. Uh, you know we did play a four four two. You said uh, Dunlady came in, but then you had. Uh, Johan Venegas in there. Venegas was in too, yeah. And it, so it was just like, I wanted to see them do that with Finley and Nicholson. Right? I mean, d- just... Yeah, just well, go there you never, just, I'm never going to get what I want, you know? <laughs> put the speed demons on the wings and try... I mean, go straight old school counterattack four four two. I mean, that would have been... I mean, hell, why not? If you're going to if you're gonna try something like that, then at least try, but... Um, there's, there's a reason to do that against Atlanta, where Atlanta usually play with fullbacks pretty high up the field, and that might be different with Garza out. But I actually think that, especially Atlanta's right back Anton Walks, I think yeah. is a pretty bad player. Yeah. And so there's a real chance for whoever's in at left back to go at him, and I hope that that is where Minnesota sort of focus a lot of energy in the Atlanta game. Um. Bree asks, what's the role of the club when SGs have unsavory elements, for example, Nazis or misogyny? Um, and this is a... <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. We, I, we do not, on this podcast, talk about supporters group drama uh, for a reason, for many reasons, actually. Um, I mean, this story, people can go check out at Bree Minneapolis... Uh, she's kind of tweeted a little bit about drama with um, with True North Elite and one of their members uh, selling paraphernalia that had swastikas on it online and then how they responded to it. And basically three board members have now been kicked out. Um, it's a very, it's just, it's drama. I don't, I don't really want to pay attention to it. But th- there is a, a legit question, which is what, what, what role does the club have when this kind of stuff happens, especially because, you know, at times like supporters groups become the face of the team, you know, become 
half of mm-hmm. the pictures are these you know, are supporters group people up there you know cheering I, I don't know do you care about this question yeah I, I care about it but I just don't I well, don't want to dig into the trauma it's uh, yeah it's a it's I think it's complicated because um, it's you know it's, it, like so from the perspective of a supporter you definitely don't want the club to have too heavy a hand in regulating or deciding what you do um, because they're always going to err on the side of caution and they're going to come down against creativity and all kinds of different things, you know, uh, so the, and, and supporters around the world are very sort of, you know, they love their, their, their club or whatever, but they are not happy to be told what to do. They're very anti-establishment, that kind of thing. At the same time, you know, I, no club wants to be or should be, uh, you know, should allow itself to be associated with, I think, certain certain beliefs, certain standards of behavior. I think Nazism and misogyny are definitely uh, among those. Um, I think that I think that the in general, I want the club. To, talk with supporters groups, right? I want them to have a good open dialogue where the club is, is not telling supporters groups what to do, but is sort of sharing their perspective and is when, when it is necessary, drawing a line. Um, but I would, I guess I, I don't know enough about this specific drama, but I would, I would really hope that the supporters groups would, would police themselves first um, and that the club's role would come in second if there's really an issue and something, something that is not going to go away, right, something yeah. that's not going to get fixed. I don't right. want the club to have any any part of this. I I, I do think that you know there there uh, with the dark clouds, there's always been this is uh, you know something that has been trumpeted. Like there's always when you're in a particularly this is for game day stuff, right? When you're in a crowd, you're drinking. There's lots of times where, several times where I remember, particularly early on, I yelled something and someone was like, "Dude, that's not cool." I, I don't know where wh- whether it was, I don't know, it, but it was like whatever, uh, whatever level of offensiveness, and like, oh yeah, I quickly was like, oh, oh yeah, that's that's not cool, right? I mean, th- there's there's got to be a lot of owning up to uh, making mistakes and calling each other out. There have been many fights of the years between dark clouds of like, this was not cool. Putting beer in the goalkeeper's Gatorade bottle is a douchey thing to do. Um, that was one of the first fights I ever had when I came into the dark clouds with these two guys who did that. Uh, and, you know, being able to be like, okay, you know what? Yeah, that that's not cool. I mean, that those are the types of things that there has to be a lot of openness about that honesty about that admitting admitting problems but i don't know how that relates to this but let's move on <laughs> so um <laughs> i Mark- think it's like i mean i just 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 to say in like a general sense like we're dealing with large amorphous groups of people who are gathered together for a very sort of weird idiosyncratic reason and have no other necessary reasons to be together or friends or whatever. And I think that there's inevitability of conflict. And I think that, 
you know, I, I don't want the club to be involved in it, but I don't think the club can ignore it either, right? I think that there is a middle ground which needs to be found, and I, I can, you know, it's it's so case by case, but but I agree, I echo what you said, which is that people in general should be just way more willing to be like, you know what, I messed up, or you know what, you're right, that wasn't cool, that kind of thing. Mark Nissen says, how does one become a fan of Whitehawk FC? And uh, uh, Whitehawk FC is the sixth division uh, English club that, that I've uh, adopted. They also have not won a game yet uh, this season after uh, 11 matches. I think they're at 11. They're terrible, terrible. Um, uh, so you can become a fan uh I, maybe he's asking how I became a fan. I became a fan uh, because I saw them on. Uh, I saw the the name. I was looking at teams in lower divisions. I saw the name. They looked cool. They did, they weren't like named Cheshire, you know, whatever. They were White Hawk, you know. And they've got the Red Hawk, and uh, they've got these great supporters who are uh, very akin to what I see the Dark Clouds as, which is you know. Anti-racist, anti-fascist, but uh, also really funny. They're, there's the Whitehawk Ultras, who are like a mockery of ultras. Uh, so that's how I became. Mark, you can join me. Uh, they're, they're, I've now convinced other Minnesotans to adopt them. And, and I've met a couple Whitehawk fans who came over to watch Minnesota play. So, um, Cole, Well, let's finish on this. Uh, Cole Neumeister asks favorite Tom Petty song uh, I actually am confused I'm not sure if Tom Petty has passed or if the I, I don't know do you know the status of this of Tom Petty I, it seems like he is not confirmed dead but is probably not, not going to live I'm not sure um, it, it doesn't seem good for him at the very, at the so, very least, well, right? At least in honor yeah. of him, if he's living, or whatever. Uh, do you have a, a favorite Tom Petty song? Um, you know, I, I didn't listen... I have not listened to a lot of his music, but one song that I do know that I've listened to him a lot, and I don't know if it's cool at all to say this song or whatever, but I like Into the Great Wide Open. That has a sort of personal connection to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, just I, sort of associated with a certain time and place. A, a, obviously, a good time and place. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I would say the first one is, is probably uh, that comes to mind is "Traveling Wilburys Handle with Care," which I don't know who actually if he wrote that or not. Um, probably not. It does not sound like. I guess he's on. He has writing credit on it but then you know i think back to um last hint with mary jane and those records came out when i was like in junior high and stuff and then uh the song wildflowers is really simple really beautiful and you know i i think that song if i think about it is probably um probably what i think most fondly about tom petty i ne was never um uh, in love with tom petty but he's written some pretty pretty just classic great um just fun stuff right there there was never much complicated stuff there but um he was always cool so there you go um tom petty be well right. let your spirit go into the great wide open um thanks alex for uh for joining me um thank you listener uh listener yeah just you one and then the rest of you listeners thanks to you um
let's uh let's, let's see you guys all soon